Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's going on, everybody? How are you? And welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and always happy you're listening. Well, I, I did a, I ran across a video the other day that I thought was interesting about the car business. We've all seen car prices, how outrageous they are. And, and it's just, it's like something's weird there. You know, everybody's complaining about car prices. And then of course now with interest rates going up, it's even more and more difficult to buy cars. Uh, but there's, there's something else going on with the car business. There's, there's interventions from the government to push EVs. And I've been on the record as saying this is going to cost us all a lot of money. It's going to cost society a lot of money. Resources, when they get misallocated, and, and that's my belief that all this stuff, all the resources that go into producing these things that the government wants us all to buy, these are misallocations of resources. And when you have that, it ultimately costs, costs society a lot of money. And I wanted to play this video and point out some of the things. You've got people, even from the industry, more or less saying the same thing. Now, they're not talking from, from an economic standpoint. They're not talking like an economist would talk about it. But they are saying, maybe we got out a little too ahead of the game on this thing. And they're starting to kind of second guess themselves. And they're looking at sales figures and going, uh-oh. And so this is, this is kind of, I'm kind of playing this as kind of evidence for, for what I've been telling you. And I think more and more evidence is going to come out. Every time, you know, every time some report comes out, I'm going to try to let you know about it because... This, the energy business is a huge, huge business. And for the government to put its thumb on the scale the way it's doing in favor of something that's just political, these are political piggy banks for their cronies to make money in, uh, this, is, this cost us, it's going to cost us dearly. And I, I think there's going to be dozens and dozens of stories just like this one. I've been in the auto industry 40 years, and I've never seen this kind of investment. $6.5 billion strictly dedicated to EVs. Wedbush says spending on commercial EVs should top $1.2 trillion between now and 2030. We're building the future of the electric vehicle. In 2022, consumers spent nearly $400 billion on electric cars worldwide. The U.S. is expected to add 1 million new EVs to its roads in 2023. And from 2023 to 2027, automotive companies have committed $616 billion in total investments. So this is what I like to call a hype clip, right? You got a bunch of clips strung together there that kind of demonstrate the hype around electric vehicles. And the investment, by the way. And these, these, these investments are real investments. Uh, companies... Uh, companies that trade on the New York Stock Exchange and these companies have spent hundreds of billions of dollars retooling their factories to produce EVs. And that costs real money and these companies have to be able to recoup that cost. 
And so their hope is they, you know, the hope is they calculated properly and that they're going to be able to sell what they're now producing. But what you're going to find here in a few minutes is that EV, EV cars are sitting on the lots at least twice as long as what they call ICE vehicles, internal combustion engine vehicles. And this is a real problem, and not just a problem for the car companies, but there are thousands of dealers around the country who are holding this inventory and paying notes to the bank um, to, to be able to carry this inventory for people to come look at and potentially buy. So you've got, you've got a lot of pressures coming from a lot of different areas, and they're going to talk about some of these in this video clip. But some of them are uh, the, the cost to borrow money, right? Nobody, almost nobody buys a car without borrowing money. And then you've got the cost of the vehicles themselves. And then you've got this unknown factor where people, you know, people are starting to share stories, uh, you know, EV hell stories to, to one another and stuff like that. So you've got now pressures coming from multiple places in the market, and it's starting to have a real impact on this EV market. Meanwhile, these efforts have hit an unnerving speed bump. EV sales are slowing. In August 2023, it took about twice as long to sell an EV in the U.S. as it did the previous January. Gas-burning vehicles were still selling briskly. While slightly more than half of consumers say EVs are the future and will eventually replace combustion engines, less than a third of dealers say so. Man, there's nothing that car companies hate more than cars that won't move. And they're going to be looking to order a few of these cars. Um, they're going to try to get rid of what they have and then, and then not order anymore. And this could be a huge blow for competitors to like Tesla. Um, well, Tesla's primarily the one that sells direct to consumer. The big three, they all sell you know, through dealers. And dealers are not really going to be wanting to buy, wanting to buy these, these cars to sell to consumers. Now you look. There's there's other there's other things going on in the market, right? There's more than just the fact that EVs are kind of getting the cold shoulder. There's interest rates. There's the cost to borrow money. But notice in that clip. I mean, go back and listen to it if you want. But notice in that clip that as late as August, it wasn't really affecting gasoline-powered engines, gasoline-powered cars. It was mostly affecting EVs. So. There's something, there's something happening that, with consumers and their, and their kind of chilling effect on EVs or chilling opinions. Uh, and we don't fully know what that is yet, but I've talked about the problem with uh, the battery case, for example, and how it's that the, the integrity of that battery case that essentially sits between the two sets of wheels, the front wheels and the, and the rear wheels, that whole bottom of the car is covered by battery. But the integrity of this case is so critical because if there's a, a short in, anywhere in there, it could set off a chain reaction with a very, very hot fire that could burn you up in, in an instant. And, and so insurance companies are starting to look at these and going, golly, you know, the battery costs $20,000 to replace. Any kind of minor impact in the side around that battery case because the battery goes all the way to the side of the car. That's another thing is it, it literally covers that whole rectangle between the front wheels and the rear wheels. And so, you know, insurance prices are higher. 
uh, they, the cars are heavier and, and have a lower center of gravity, and so the tires wear out faster. There's, there's all these little problems with EVs, and consumers are starting to learn these firsthand. And these stories are getting around, and it's starting to impact uh, the EV market. Tesla has slashed prices dramatically. Sales at some EV startups have disappointed, and companies like Ford have ramped up hybrid production as demand for their EVs has leveled off. So what is really going on, and why? And what does it mean for the future? Well, you know, that's the million-dollar question, right? What's going on? Uh, and I'm not even going to attempt to answer that. I've, I've talked about some of the things that are happening in the marketplace previously. But the bigger thing is this was an intervention from top to bottom. Uh, consumers didn't really just wake up one day and say that they wanted EVs. Uh, people have had EVs for a while now, but they're, they're essentially being propagandized into the market. I mean, there's, there's people that are, well, you can get, as of, as of right now, you can get, if you buy a brand new EV, you can get a $7,500 tax credit from the government. If you buy a used EV, you can get a $4,000 tax credit from the government. So these are, these are incentives that people respond to. But what I'm, what I'm saying to you is, let's say I get a $7,500 tax credit and I spend $60,000 on an EV and let's say my insurance rates triple or something. And let's say that uh, I'm replacing tires as twice as often as I used to. You know, I can't really go that far in the EV. I've started to see some degradation in my battery. And guess what? Those people are not coming back and buying new EVs. Some of those people are throwing in the towel on the EVs. So this is this is what I'm talking about. This is this is kind of what's happening. And so far, the government can't force you to buy a consumer good. There is a oversupply of electric vehicles in the industry today that is greater than the demand. This is Jeff Iosa. His shop is one of 383 Mercedes-Benz dealerships around the U.S. It pulls in about $40 million a year, employs about 50 people, and at any given time keeps about 70 cars on the lot. About a third are EVs and hybrids. We're perhaps moving a little bit too fast. Well, what is he talking about here? You know, we, we perhaps are moving a little bit too fast. Is he talking about consumers? Is he saying consumers are moving too fast to EVs? No, no, no. What he's saying is the pressure uh, on society, both from the government and from, I guess, NGOs and just propaganda in general, is, is, too, is moving too fast for the market. That's what he's saying. I love at the beginning how he goes, well, supply is too great for the demand. You think, you know, I mean, yeah, everybody knows about supply and demand. But I've seen pictures on Twitter, and I think they're real, of fields of EVs that China, the Chinese government, the CCP, just bought and put in a field. So they can be the number one producer of EVs in the world or something. I mean, just stupid stuff like this. 
and, and what I'm telling you is the, it takes real resources. We have to, we have to employ people to mine rare earth minerals and lithium and um, copper and all these, all these metals. And some of these are, are kind of hard to get to. And then we build something and we just park it in a field. I mean, there are real, that's a real waste of resources. That, that's an obvious waste of resources. A less obvious waste of resources is the U.S. government paying consumers to buy something that is really not viable and is going to end up costing them more money than the alternative. And, you know, when you're talking about $50,000, not too many consumers in the U.S. have just an extra $50,000 they can flush down the toilet. And these are only the, the end user cost. I mean, there's cost associated to other businesses, other, other industries where these resources were siphoned away and directed toward EVs, but they didn't go into other things. And this is, this is something that people don't understand about economics. They, it's not just the blunder that's obvious. It's, it's that blunder's effect on other things that people buy and would rather have and buy voluntarily without uh, tax credits. In May 2021, Ford opened reservations for its F-150 Lightning, the fully electric version of the most popular vehicle in America. It closed them by the end of the year because the company said it had enough reservations for three years worth of production. But by September 2023, Ford said it was ramping up production of its hybrid F-150 because sales of the Lightning had slowed. We literally had people who would follow car carriers to the store, hoping that when it got here that the car on the carrier that they wanted to buy was available only to learn that it was already sold. People rushing to the dealership, they're going bananas paying over MSRP, their bidding wars are going on. People are like, I, I hope that guy doesn't buy it. If it falls off the truck, I'll buy it kind of attitude. I mean, just completely by the wayside now. It's just been one year and the market for EVs is upside down. What these guys are describing is a type of mania. And manias always collapse very quickly. Manias are typically surface up in a, in a financial sector. And they're always, always related to government intervention. Uh, you, you see this in the housing run-up. You know, you'll see prices really spike toward the end of whenever the, the end run-up is. And then you'll just see a total collapse in prices. And that's because people are fearful that if they don't buy now, they're, they're never going to be able to buy a house. Like, like just imagine that like you're trying to buy a house for $300,000 and houses are bidding for three fifty, and, and in your mind, they're on their way to 500. And so you're just like, I'll pay 380, you know, and somebody says, I'll pay 395. And somebody says, I'll pay 405. And, and this is, and it just goes, goes like that until people give up and the price collapses back down. So this is kind of what you see in the car market. Especially after COVID, there was a lot of money sloshing around in the economy. The, the government printed $6 trillion, uh, and, and there was a lot of fraud. People scammed a lot of money out of the government and stuff. And who, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's why, or people all ran out and bought cars. I'm just saying that money's fungible, and it can, it can, it can pop up in other places, even though it was directed to a very particular place. 
Drury says about 40% of EV shoppers are trading in a vehicle they already own for a new one. That is about twice what it was a decade ago. That suggests that a lot of those EVs purchased a decade ago were supplemental vehicles, an extra car. Like if you had a two-car garage, you got a third. And part of that was because those EVs, they qualified for lots of tax credits. You got HOV access lane. Oh, I know in Southern California, that was such a huge thing that vehicles with that sticker, they would sell at a premium. As a Mercedes dealer, Jeff Iosa still interacts with a lot of well-heeled customers. Even he has seen evidence of this. The early adopters were very techy and they were very, I want to say, more in the space of luxury. Last year, we had 30-something models in the marketplace to almost 90-plus models today, a more mainstream buyer. I think there's a, an evolving sense of buyer remorse. You see this in televisions where, you know, every six to nine months, you feel like the same 52-inch TV is cheaper at Best Buy or, you know, pick your location for the same functionality. And, you know, especially now that OEMs are lowering prices. What the first guy is talking about is kind of interesting. He's, he's essentially saying that, look, these early adopters were kind of techie and they, they were buying these cars for a reason because it, it reflects who they are. It reflects their personality. It reflects their sensibilities, let's say. But these new buyers that are coming in, these are people that need a car and are more about buying a car to get from point A to point B. I mean, they're really, they're more pragmatic, I guess is a good way to say it. And they're more discerning and more nervous about some of the realities that they hear and read about in the EV market. And, and, and this is just the nature of things, right? I mean, there's always early adopters who want, you know, were people that got into Bitcoin first, okay? There were people that bought computers first, and some of them ended up making huge businesses and becoming billionaires like Steve Wozniak and uh, Steve Jobs and people like that. Bill Gates, my least favorite. But what happens is later on, you're just, somebody else buys a computer because they need it to do their job, right? And they don't really care too much about the computer. In fact, they may hate it. <laughs> they may hate the fact that they have to buy it. Um, so you just have a different, you have a spectrum, you have a range of buyer types and it looked like, you know, and this is always the way it is, by the way, they'll, they'll take a, a, a line and they'll draw a line under the trend line and they'll say, look at this. The EVs are going to be, there's going to be 10 billion EVs at the end of 2030 or whatever. They extrapolate out in the future and they make all these investments and, Next thing you know, they're, they're like, oh, crap. You know, people didn't want these as bad as we thought they did. The second guy is talking more about some of the government interventions. And I think some of them are very interesting. I mean, the tax credits are obvious, right? But he starts talking about, hey, if you're in an EV, you can drive in the HOV lane. Well, that's a huge thing if you live in California. That's a huge incentive. I don't know if you've ever driven in California traffic, and I can't remember if I've told this story before, but I was coming back from an appointment one time, not far from LAX, and I was driving back east, uh, away from the coast, because the my company had an apartment in an area called the Inland Empire. And anyway, the traffic was so bad going away from LA, and this is like 
I don't know, six o'clock at night or something. I pulled over in a shopping center and went and saw a movie until like 1030 and then went back to the apartment. I mean, it was just that bad. And so if you offer somebody, you know, a special privilege to drive in a lane where there's not as many people driving, well, guess what? That's a huge, that's a huge incentive. So there's all these kinds of incentives and it affects the way people purchase and affects the reasons they purchase. And this is just some of the intervention that was going on. You know, people respond to incentives. That's something economists all know. And, and a lot of them are advising these politicians to do things like this in order to incentivize people to buy certain things in the marketplace instead of people just looking what's, uh, what's available and making their own decisions based on their own needs and desires. Then there is the government. There's a fair amount of feedback that we get from customers that say, you know, we just don't like the government telling us what we should buy. By 2032, 67.5% battery electric is aggressive. I think by 2035, all electric is aspirational. I don't think that that's going to happen. This guy is so funny because he's a very careful speaker. You can just tell he's very... He's very guarded in his, in his terminology, the words he uses, and so on and so forth. But here's the bad news. We're all buying EVs, right? All these people that are driving EVs, they're getting a tax credit from, guess who? You. So the government is forcing all of us to buy EVs for those that want to go down and sign their name on the dotted line for the full car. And that's, you know, that's, that's the problem with government in general, you know, it's like the old, well, you know, I think it's okay because we need to transition. I mean, even if you have an opinion that it's good to transition the economy and maybe you're okay with the tax credit, but there's almost certainly something that the government spends money on that you're not okay with. Like, I don't know, bombing, uh, Syria or something or starving people out of Yemen or funding, endless war in Ukraine. I mean, those are all good reasons to be upset about what the government is spending your money on. So a lot of people think, well, you know, EV spending, that's, those are tax credits are for the greater good, you know, but it's just, you, you just have to recognize how, how does the government know? I mean, this is what we all need to understand. How is it that the government knows what the right car is for us to be driving? How do they know that? How could they possibly know that? I, and I mean, when I say the right car, I mean the right car for you, the right car for me, the right car for my family. You know, how could the government possibly know that? And why is it they think they can weigh in on that conversation in such a large way with stolen money to, you know, to carry out some political agenda? I just, I just think that's wrong on so many levels. And for that reason, I'm not going to even buy an EV. I'm never going to buy an EV. For the same reason, I'm not going to buy solar panels and put them on my house. Oh, well, it's not the exact same reason. I, I told a guy here recently, I said, man, I, I'm not going to buy this solar panel thing from you because you're going out of business. You just don't know it yet. That's what I told this kid, real sharp kid. I said, and, and one of these days I'm going to need support because somebody's going to need to work on this thing. 
And I'm not going to be able to find anybody because they're all going to be out of business because you're not getting government money anymore. And then I'm going to have to pay somebody to take all that crap off my house. So thanks, but no thanks. And the guy looked at me like I was, like I was crazy, you know, but, but that's just the way I feel about all these things. Eventually you're going to get stuck with a car that needs a new battery and you're going to come to the realization you have a 10 year old car that you can't sell because it needs a $20,000 battery. I mean, even if my engine went out on my car, I, I know because I checked out, I checked this out. I could go get it replaced for about $2,500, $3,000. That's a hell of a lot cheaper than $20,000. The picture that starts to emerge, the EVs that are on the lots don't match what consumers want and what dealers are selling. Don't get rid of your combustion car. <laughs> I would like to see the government reassess their regulatory pressures and perhaps revisit the incentives through the IRA. EV inventory is going to rise at the same time that the auto industry continues to launch more and more EVs at that fifty dollars to $60,000 price point, which is already well saturated. There is demand for EVs, it's just that they're Teslas and they're a lot lower priced than what we see. If Perhaps we could hit the rewind button and do things differently than we have. I would like to think that maybe we would have slowed things down, maybe been more in the space of hybrid as a bridge to a more perfected battery technology. We have been in the space of combustion ice for over a century. so. We have a lot of experience with it. Battery electric is at ground zero. We don't know what we don't know, and we're still kind of cutting our teeth with it. Clearly, I believe that we've moved a little bit too much and too fast. And there he goes again with the we. This is something I hear people say all the time. You know, uh, I don't know, something happens and you know, we need to do something about it. And they mean we like the American government. And you just need to know that the government doesn't know what to do. They don't have all the smart people. They work off consensus. They work off negotiation and give and take. And I'll give you this if you give me that and that kind of stuff. This is how they arrive at decisions. They don't look at the economics of decisions or the feasibility of decisions. They just wheel and deal and figure out how to grift off of it. And then those, those are the decisions they, they make. And they, and, they, and they need 50 plus one votes to carry them out. That's how they do it. They don't actually know anything. This is so obvious, actually, now, especially more than ever, right? The Soviet Union collapsed. Why did the Soviet Union collapse? I hear people say, well, you know, we, we outspent the Soviet Union on the, the military race, and that's why they collapsed. No, that, that, that's part of it. But the reason the Soviet Union collapsed is there is no way to make it work. Even if you had... This is a much deeper discussion than, than what I'm going to be able to have here because I need to wrap up today. But the, the Soviet Union collapsed because they didn't have real prices. They didn't have real market information. They didn't really know what people wanted. And therefore, 
the right industries couldn't grow up inside that country. And because the right industries couldn't grow up in that country, people were underemployed or unemployed. And when you're unemployed, you can't take care of yourself. So the government would come out with programs to take care of people because they didn't want unhappy people rioting in the streets. And, and they just, it just, you can't make that work. Okay. You just can't make that work. These people sitting in the legislatures don't know what to do. In fact, they're the last people that would know what to do. Um, people interacting with people, buying and selling, that's how, that's how you figure out what consumers want and what they're willing to pay for and where there's value. And where there's value, uh, industrious entrepreneurs show up and they create businesses to extract that value voluntarily, I might add. That's the key. It has to be voluntary. If it's not voluntary, then it's political. And if it's political, it's 99.999% sure that it's going to be wrong. And that's just where we all need to get our heads. We need to stop running around saying, well, we need to do something. No, we don't. The government does not need to do something. We have this wonderful thing, this mysterious thing called the market. And it's based on voluntary interaction. It's based on free will. It's based on property rights. It's based on free speech and just all the, the, the liberties that we hold dear. And we never want to trust it. We want the government to equalize things in the healthcare business and in this industry and in that industry. And what we need to be doing is we need to be convincing our fellow citizens that, no, that needs to be turned over to the market. That's where all the ingenious ideas are. That's how people figure out how to do things for other people that those other people are willing to pay for. The market. The market is the key, not the government. So I hope this has been an interesting talk for you. Um, maybe you see something that you hadn't seen before. Maybe you like EVs, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with liking EVs, but the government shouldn't be involved in it. They shouldn't even be involved in these cafe standards that they're involved with. They should let these car companies design and build cars that consumers are willing to pay for. And the government just needs to stay out of it. If To the extent that they do that, we'll have better cars, we'll have more affordable cars, and we'll have cars that people want to buy and, and buy again. And uh, we won't have all these cars sitting on lots. The dealers will be happier. The car makers will be happier. Everybody will be happier. But nobody's going to be happy, happy when this thing crashes like it's going to. There's going to be a lot of bankruptcy. There's going to be a lot of bailing out. And people are going to be complaining about that. It's going to be a real shit show. And it all could have been avoided if we could just kept the government and its ideas about, I don't know, global warming and saving the planet and all this crazy stuff. It just, I mean, if they want to say it, fine, but they, they, we shouldn't give them any authority to do anything about it legislatively. All right. Well, that's it for the show. Thank you for coming in. Really appreciate it. Uh, share the show. Leave me a review. Uh, but come back and listen. And if you come back and listen, I'll be here again do it all over tomorrow. All right. Thanks for coming in, everybody. Peace.